it's Zen Your Name Podcast. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Scott McBone. You know, I was listening to an old episode before we started recording this, and I realized, like, we used to talk a lot more about the process of producing the show, where it would be like, we actually know that this is going to be episode 46, <laughs> six weeks before we recorded it. We have for sure lapsed back to recording episodes where I'm like, I don't know what this will be numbered. <laughs> <laughs> But they're still coming out, right? I think it's in the '60s. I was looking at your guys' website. I think it's like '62 or '63. Yeah, no, or I mean it's it's a don't, sustainable don't, project yeah. for sure. But we've hit a point where it's like, oh, what yeah. are we going to talk about? We've talked about everything we usually talk about. Well, we when we started um, doing the podcast, it was very much just talk about the things that we know a bunch about, <laughs> and then we ran out of things that we knew about. We're like, oh no, we have to find yeah. people. <laughs> and I feel like that's pretty much a pro-grade segue because we have a guest this week. But Well, first off, thank you to our supporters, whether you're on Patreon or some other platform at this point. If you have migrated to wherever we are, dropping us a buck, thank you. If you haven't, go to support.zengineeringpodcast.com and you can throw us uh, some money to help keep this thing going. It doesn't cost much, but there's some infrastructure. I feel like what we really have to handle up front before I throw to Scott to kind of tell us about his background that we were like, yes, come do the podcast. I feel like the first thing to handle is how we know you. Like, we got to talk about Powell. <laughs> Absolutely. Shout out to Chris Powell. <laughs> Powell yeah. at all in our pre-interview. Yeah. What's up, Powell? Yeah. What's up, man? Mr. Powell. It's a Vand Vanderbilt connection there. So Yeah, so yeah. he's he's just I would describe him as just forever stoked. Yeah. Like he fits in San Diego perfectly. Because he's just excited about whatever you're talking to him about totally. at any given moment. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. We try to capture that every day as we do a podcast. You should. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. Pal's, Pal's a great I would imagine um, Pal's been a great influence on all three of our lives. He really has been. He was when uh, I went uh, off on my own, I went in two thousand twelve, I went I took my law practice by you know, on my own. And he was there like you know, helping me out, encouraging me and being super positive. So, you know, you talk cool. about the zen of of getting out there. He was really positive and good karma for me. So I got nothing but love for that guy. Nice. So you're a lawyer, but you also have your own yeah. podcast, and you also recently ran for local yeah, office. Yeah. So there's all manner of places yeah, yeah. to start with. Like, okay, uh... well, no, well, hopefully I'll talk. I want to talk. I'm very, I'm like an expert here's, in Annapolis. Here's where I want to start, yeah. though. When you were listing your guests yeah. on your podcast, you said you had the dude from Jimmy's Chicken Shack yeah, Jimmy's on there, and I was immediately like, <laughs> "Yes, Jimmy's Chicken Shack." Gary Jobson, who's like a, one of these renowned like sailor commentators, you might not know him. And I'm trying to think of like national guests you might know that have been on the podcast. But yeah, it's been a ton of fun. I got to look at who's been guests, uh, but um, it's a and they're a funny example of a thing that's like I wonder if is still a phenomenon given that media like delivery is so can be local, but it can also be global on the same infrastructure. So it's like, we used to listen to the radio. So they got a oh, lot yeah. of local playtime, but if I brought them up with somebody in San Diego, they don't know who they are. Maybe they know the yeah. one hit that I think was kind of like national. Yeah. You, sh you should, you should. Put in the show notes. <laughs> but I like, there was a fair job. staple for, you know, my, my developing years. We saw them at the na na 91X like annual concert, I think, Kerb. Yeah, for sure. The 99 one, like HF Festival. 91. 
Yeah. I get it mixed up because there's like a there's like a ninety one yeah, X sure. here, ninety nine one W H S. And they don't they're <laughs> not they 91. don't along they don't exist anymore, ninety nine one HFS. But I was probably there oh, at really? that concert with you. And they, Jimmy's Chicken Shack was like the back um like the side <laughs> stage yeah, at that Right, yeah. playing the side stage, but a side I stage. I think Limp Biscuit was the main performer. Sure. Yes, yes. <laughs> so yeah, it was just cool. Awkward, but uh, yeah, but yeah, we should talk but, about uh, like you know I don't want to so, just talk about Naples, but we could talk about like it's kind of how it's like a regular town and compare it to like you know nationally or just you know take it from there. But I I always say I, I was born in the, the old Annapolis Hospital, which is like absolutely like 50 yards from where my law office is now. So I always say cheesily that I haven't gotten very far in life, literally. And, um, you know, I ran for county council uh, um, and I lost by like a percent in the primary. But in that, you know, I got endorsed by a lot of people, got out in the community. And that's what I loved about it. And that's what I love about doing the podcast, which is probably what you guys love about doing the podcast. Is like to me, it's not even necessarily about like. Uh, it is about the listeners, but for me, selfishly, it's about getting to know you guys and talk to you guys for an hour. And I call it like coffee on steroids because I gotten to talk to all these people that I wouldn't have gotten a chance to talk with if it wasn't for the podcast medium and me having this this platform and it'd be like, hey, you want to talk to me? I'll put you on my podcast, but I get to meet somebody and that helped me in my campaign and that can help people in their business or you know whatever it is they're trying to do and just kind of enrich their lives. And that's, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of podcasts. We're talking about that, but yeah. So let's start with, I think like the interesting place to start is just the, the context for the development of okay. Annapolis, you know, and like yeah, the history yeah. of Maryland. Let's take it like way back to civil wars yeah, yeah. and shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have in Maryland, you basically have Baltimore, Annapolis, and then like a chunk of DC. Cause at some point the federal government was like, yo, we need this space for our capital. Yeah. Taking it. <laughs> so it's this weird square that kind of steals some from West Virginia, some from Maryland, some from Virginia. Yeah. Right. So so it's a state full of people working in DC, a lot living in Baltimore, although you can you can see what's happening there as the as industry on the waterfront changes. And then Annapolis has like the Naval Academy. Annapolis is in a really good place to keep other people out of the Chesapeake Bay is my no. understanding of why there's a town where Annapolis is. It's on a peninsula, right? It's on yeah, it's it's on a peninsula. It's a good it's pretty protected. It's a good location. That's sort of how it, you know, got developed. But it, interesting is is why Annapolis is so historic and everyone thinks Annapolis. It used to be the capital of America briefly for about a year. Um, they had like the uh, I'm I'm going to botch the history, but it was the capital of America for a little bit. And it's interesting why it's been preserved so long is there's actually a recession in Annapolis at some point. And because there was a recession, the the building kind of stopped, and it didn't. And then all of a sudden, this historic preservation commission came in like a few years later and kind of preserved it. Hey, like we're going to start to get people come here because of the history of Annapolis. And sort of you know then that sort of held it in time like you know frozen in time um and with that said there's been a lot of changes to annapolis and one thing that's coming up that i know you guys have talked about or is happening right now is this is bike lane on on main street annapolis which could be main street anywhere where uh, in san diego i know san diego is a huge biking area but not everywhere in america is like that and we just put a bike lane there and it's going the opposite way of traffic so it's just kind of interesting. It's interesting to see. Which, if you understand yeah. traffic yeah. laws, is actually the direction cyclists are supposed to ride. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's jog. That's runners. You're <laughs> supposed to walk and run yeah. in the inverse yeah. of traffic, right? And I know. No, and the bikes are supposed to go yeah, with 
So I can yeah, so that's awkward to have bikes go in that direction. <laughs> but here's the thing. If those bikes aren't going that much faster than pedestrians, yeah. then it's actually safer for them to be coming toward the cars yeah. so that the cars see them in a more like, whoa, way than just tuning well, down, it out. Downtown it's, Annapolis yeah. is really interesting because it's it's all like the whole downtown area in Annapolis is historic, yeah. right? Like the whole area is kind of preserved and yeah. it's right there by the Naval Academy, which I'm guessing that's been there for hundreds of years since like the formation of the yeah, country, yeah. probably. It transitioned from being a really good yep. fort for the United States of Perfect. America yep. into a place where people want to live. Oh yeah. No, that's, <laughs> that's right on. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. And it's an interesting transition to go through and you're going to hit before that. Cause if, if there's no like industry industry there. So like Baltimore's having a thing now where what do you do with port? Mm-hmm. Like, if you don't have if you don't have steel mills, what do you do with port real estate? Basically, mm-hmm. um, you know, like you were you were telling us about a project in the watershed, mm-hmm. and just the term like in the watershed is a thing to think about when you live yeah. near a river mm-hmm. or or an, or an ocean, which Los Angeles and San Diego both are, right? Like this city sloughs stuff into the water constantly, and we do our best to control it, right? Oh yeah, yeah. So you get to this climate, like the climate space or like where we, we've talked about like e-scooters and stuff before. As soon as you mentioned a bike lane, I was immediately like, oh, here's what I see on the bike lanes when I bike around yeah. town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think by the time this airs, we will have put out an episode that's just Brian and I talking about bikes. Oh, okay. So I could, I could talk about the bike <laughs> yeah. lane forever. Well, it's, a, it's exciting that thing. we have um, – it's exciting. We just got bike share, which I know is – you know that's probably been in San Diego forever. It's been in D.C. for a while and, of course, New York. But you know we're a town of like 38,000 people, and now we have a bike share, and that's a big deal. You know? And it would be tough to do these e-scooters because we got the cobblestones and the historic aspect of it. But you know the bike share is kind of cool. But, you know, the question is, we talked about this before, is like the cultural aspect of biking. Like there's a lot of times there's people, there's the, the, the hardcore, and they even call themselves Annapolis the crazies, the, the guys that, you know, and you guys might be like the, they're doing century rides, 100-mile rides and all this. But then there's like the regular Joe Schmoes like myself or or just whoever that, you know, wanna, I live two miles from my, my, uh, my work. I should be biking every day when I can. It's healthy for me. It's good for the environment. But I'm not always the case because of infrastructure and frankly because of the culture sometimes i'm just like used to being in a car so it's sort of like how can we get to more of like the european mindset of like amsterdam or copenhagen to like you know the culture needs to shift and it's like how do you get that america is always like hot rods and and, and oil gas that sort of stuff so how do we change that you know and when i was running for office springs springsteen runs deep in oh our yeah cultural yeah exactly, roots. exactly it's like yeah it's sort of like the uh, you ever see tim the tool man you know back in the day home improvement it's like more power right. and he starts arr, arr, you know so it's like how do you you know so, <laughs> i can't I'm, well I'm, and so one of the answers that one of the answers that if you look at like trends in e-scooters of companies just going, well, we're just going to put this cheap, easy to use, you know, infrastructure in place and see if people use it. And so people have, you know, gravitated to these scooters that are everywhere in a lot of towns. And it's, and it's, I think it's the same behavior as the bike share of like, Hey, this is a way to get around. If we just put it out there, we can make money and it's worked. So it shows that there's this aspect of it where like, you just got to build a bike lane. A lot of people are going to protest and you're going to have to try to figure out the way to put it in the right place. But if you just build the bike lane, 
people just use it. Oh yeah. Let's talk about what's what's the process of running for office like? I mean, like right the off process, the top of my head, yeah. the very first th- thing yeah. I think is like, man, that's gonna be a shit ton of paperwork. <laughs> oh no, it's it's actually not as much paperwork as you think. It's more of like just like legwork and just like yeah. so I I knocked on over seven thousand um, wow. doors for this campaign, over seven thousand doors just for the primary, no and I way. and I raised over fifty thousand dollars. And it wasn't like I got like it from like pack money or anything like that. These are like you know twenty dollar, hundred dollar donations from people. It just you know trying to small donations trying to help out and uh you know so just put a lot of, you know fundraising door knocking and you know it's not about i mean we're talking fifty thousand dollars a lot of money but it's not like you know some of these like big campaigns like it's not a congressional campaign or anything like that so it's really not you know it's not like dark money or anything like that <laughs> but it's just kind of getting out there to different groups of people and listening to them and that's that's the thing i said i actually enjoyed you have to be the right personality i think for it because you have to listen to a lot of different people and put a lot of time to have people heard, you know, and you learn a lot. You actually, I mean, me just getting out there, knocking on the people's doors, and it was just so crazy. One moment I was being spit on, to the next moment I was being hugged, and that literally <laughs> that, that literally happened to me within like a minute period of time of out there door knocking. Like I was on the street, and then I door knocked and someone said thank the good lord and they gave me a big hug so it's just amazing that and 99 percent of it's very positive i had a very positive campaign it was i you know ran on bringing the community together basically just you know local local boy just trying to get out there and uh, meet meet people and i I loved it because that's just my personality but if it's not your personality get out there and listen to people and get get grief from people because you can't make everyone happy that's a tough thing in politics you just can't make everyone happy you know that could be tough on people if you don't have the right personality yeah what was the office it was county county council so i'm trying to think like what would be lowest so i was like the lowest you know, I'd be like the lowest political person for some people. It's actually weird because it's the city of Annapolis. So the city of Annapolis was also in my district. So I, I was – there's also like city council people. So in the actual right. city, those elected officials are quote-unquote like a smaller office than what I was running for. Right. But there's also – in Anne Arundel County, there's like uh, council people that that's the lowest office because there's no city in their in their district, if that okay. makes sense. So, so then how how yeah, so what would the size of the district like what I'm chasing is how yeah. many people as a representative in yeah. democracy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how many people are you supposed to be talking to and then reporting back on, you know? Oh, it's crazy. So I thousand. said so yeah. I think we're it was well over a hundred thousand. I mean it was like 150, 140,000 people we're talking about. Um of course I was in a primary, so it's like you split that into half and then you also split into like registered voters. So like the the amount of people I'll tell you the biggest thing I got from this election really is how important it is for people regular people to register and to actually vote in the both the primary election and the general election because me as and then you can effectuate change that because me as somebody that was trying to run for office you get a list and this is what you have to do to get an opportunity you get a list of people that vote you know and you look at people that vote at the last three cycles those people are going to vote in this cycle they're more likely and so you reach out to them first because they're going to vote. I mean, so you, so as a person, you need to register to vote. Your vote matters. And you look at a lot of these close races and I, you know, I don't, you know, and it matters because it matters for infrastructure changes. It matters for the environment and different things. So bigger issues than that. So if I could get anything from this is just how important it is for people 
and it's not cheesy just like get out there register and it doesn't matter which party you're on but you just being registered will effectuate change and voting will effectuate change that's that's an interesting aspect of it that i for sure have never really considered which is just like it's a public it's a public system so by registering to vote you're putting your name on this list that is available to anyone that wants to run Mm -hmm. because that's part of being part of the public system. So if you're not even registered, I don't even know to call you up and say, hey, what do you think about this thing? Like, I can't even get your opinion through the mechanisms that the government imagines Mm -hmm. if you're not registered to vote. But then the step past that is like, then there's all these other ways to get demographic information about people that gets weird in the internet data science piece. So Scott, what, uh, what, influenced you or encouraged you or what what was uh what was your impetus to run for local office sure well i was i mean if people are outside i know my purpose but people on the outside looking i was sort of like the environmentalist like i was the sierra club the league of conservation voters they all endorsed me like my background is environmental law concentration i'm on a scenic rivers land trust so i'm on a um, land trust board so we do conservation easements we protect land from developers in Anne Arundel County. Uh, we're, we have the, the biggest, the most land trust in Anne Arundel County. So that was really important to me. It's really important to a lot of people. And you can take it, you can kind of go from like the hard greens or to like middle road people. But like, because of Annapolis is on the peninsula, there's so many people. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful area. There's so many people. So therefore there's so many cars, there's so much traffic and, and uh, more development will cause more develop, uh, more traffic. And, and, you know, the way people develop is they don't develop right. It's going to cause issues for our watershed and for our environment. So that was sort of my background is this is my hometown. I want to uh, make sure the environment's okay with it uh, for the future. Do you guys have a ferry system? No, but I've actually, you know, I've thought of this. It's like there's such a big deal with all this traffic. It would be great to have a ferry. But, of course, you'd have tremendous amount of pushback from people that have communities right right there because they don't want a ferry right there. They're in this protected area back there. You know, the question is, are are things going to change with more and more people telecommuting? Will traffic change that way? Can we do some incentives to actually like, hey, if you stay home, we'll give you a tax break. And we are doing this in some cities right now. If you stay home and don't drive to D.C. and you can prove that, we'll give you a tax break. And just kind of like promoting, giving incentives for people to stay on the peninsula, to bike ride, to, you know, I made the joke like, hey, since Annapolis downtown doesn't really have much of a, a job center can we like, you know, I didn't do this during the campaign. I did after, but like, we could like give people like, oh, you, you know, you r- drive, you know, ride your bike, like get a, you know, free ice cream cone or, you know, not, not that that would be viable or practical, <laughs> but just giving people incentives to actually get on their bike to make it culturally cool to bike instead of like getting on your hot rod or getting into your, your Hummer vehicle and like driving to DC, which makes no sense for anybody. You know, what's interesting is when you start talking about culture, you end up talking about the things that I think people associate with startups, but they call them perks. And it's this weird, it's this thing of, okay, if the best possible solution is don't drive anywhere, just stay at home (laughs) and connect remotely. Then like, what's the, you know, I, I start to be more drawn to the local neighborhood because it's like, well, I can't just stay at home all day or I go crazy. Yeah. So I need to go walk to a park and do some stuff. And uh, look, going to lunch is a nice break that you catch if you're 
you know, sort of like I, I, my office is half a mile from my house. I usually take a scooter or walk to get there, but I got to put things in my day to break that up. Sure. And it's like, and it becomes this local community thing of like, oh yeah, park there. It's nice. I ride bike paths all the time to yeah, get a lot places. Of, a lot of the and, stuff that I think people start to, a lot of the stuff that people tend to complain about and look to as big problems are a result of just cars and car culture. I think, right? The ability of, of things in cities to be planned, to be clustered and huge malls and huge shopping centers and huge suburbs and huge developments and all this stuff that, that detracts from local community. Like Annapolis is a neat town because it's historical. It's got, there's so much culture. I mean, you're walking around and if, if you've ever walked around Annapolis, you can almost like hear horses <laughs> and you're like, you're imagining horses cruising around. Like yeah. you can hear the cobblestone yeah, yeah. and you can hear carts running and it it's, and you can't cause they're not there except maybe around the holidays. I think I've seen, seen the it's, horses and the buggies, but it's um, the sailing town in some capacity. Right. So it's like this infrastructure exists, but it's kind of like, okay, it's not easy, but I can get a boat down to this place and then I can leave the boat there forever. But it's just, it's otherwise built, it's built for riding a horse to that yeah. boat. Well, actually, I mean, what, <laughs> on some level, right? Like what town. it used to be is a, like a waterman's town, you know, it used to be a waterman's town, it, you know, right. even more sailing. And what it now really is, it's transitioned to, it's more tourists. It's tourists and people that live here because it's nice. You know, there's a lot of retirees, that sort of stuff. And they live here because it's a nice, that sort of stuff. And so it's like, you know, how do you. You know, you shift from, you know, Waterman's town, like a sailing town to like a horse and buggy town to like having and having antiquated sewers or, or whatever. How do you upgrade and modernize it, but also preserve that history? Because, um, again, Annapolis was the you know capital of America for a little bit. I mean, it has so much history. You know, George Washington was here, you know, all that stuff. Oh, George Washington was a lot of places, but he was the community. <laughs> but uh, there's a lot of history, especially here. There's, you know, I think it's five signers of the uh, – of the declaration of independence for here. So it's, you know, sort of how do we, you know, preserve our history, but uh, modernize it all at the same time. And there's always that, you know, I would call it healthy tension. Um, and you see it in different cities across America, but it's just in, it's, it's in the, in the forefront here in Annapolis. So um, it's always, you know, and it's one of those things as you know, somebody that ran for office, you have to listen to those concerns and you respect it because people came here for, for the history. People, tourists come here and, and uh, patronize businesses because of the history of here. So it, it's important to maintain that. But on the other hand, you know, with the Internet and everything changing so much, and I'm kind of going off and kind of rambling now. It's, it's what do we do? What do these retail shops do with with Amazon now, with, uh, you know, retail, e-retailing, you know, what can they do to drive yeah. people here? You know, what, and I think it's through experiences. Yeah. Well, it's not really, it's not yeah. rambling because it's like you, when you realize that the place you're in is community development and the things you have to think about are parks instead of like fundamental services, then you sort of, you start to go closer to being a theme park than to being like a functional, well, I gotta have, I gotta have a rope shop down there so that the <laughs> sailors can buy rope. And if uh, nothing else matters, because if I have rope, they'll keep getting the rope from me. And now they get the rope off rope off of Amazon. So that rope maker's got to turn into like an escape room yeah. or something. Oh yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> right? I, I, yeah, it's a community thing now of like, how do you make this space nice for people to hang out in that are working 
virtually back at home in an office or in an apartment or something. And it's a place to go have an experience that's a break from yeah. work. Basically. Or is it not? Is that going to change with like video games and everyone telecommuting? We're just all going to stay in our houses or like cities as we do you, th- mm-hmm. do you think cities and this is possible, like cities as they are now. Are they going to, you know, is it going to go away from that completely? Because we really don't. We have video games. We have, you know, we can get food delivered to our house with Uber delivery. Um, you know, we could do so much from home. Like, why do we even need to, you know, why do we even need bikes to go out? You know, we could get it just come to us. I guess people need to be able to deliver it. But then you have 3D printing. You know, when's it going to be, you know, you have Star Trek where, where we could just like right. materialize our food right in front of us. You know, so. <laughs> or, you know, you got, <laughs> this is a lot of stuff for a, a current candidate running for politics. Well, no, I'm, I'm not, I'm not running really anymore. I'm not running anymore. <laughs> so. Right. So did you. Well, uh, so it sounds like you clearly have a lot of passion for your yeah. local community and and you clearly have a bunch of causes that you have been involved in for a long time, right? So so having taken all of that and wrapped it up and and being an attorney and going and running for a public office, did you like that process? Did you did you feel like that was a good direction to go or are you thinking about uh, was it helpful? Again? Yeah. No. Well, I mean, yeah. No, that's a good question. I would say, I mean, when I was doing it from a business perspective, um, I wasn't making as much money as when I wasn't because I spent. You know, some people kind of do it like it's. You know, you anybody could put their name in a run. I was running to to win to like do as do everything I could. Mm-hmm. So I was like a hundred percent in. So I didn't do as well business wise since it, the primary was at June twenty sixth. This was my second or third best month ever for my business. So financially, you know, getting to know people, connections, that sort of thing. I don't know if it's like people, more people going to my website. I, I rank higher in Google Internet, but also the real connections of just knowing people. I, you know, I, I deal with some small businesses, but generally my clients are regular people. And those are the people I was out there with. So it has helped with my business now, for sure. Um, just getting out there and networking. And, you know, that was stuff I was doing with the podcast. But you know, this campaign was getting out there even more. So, um, yeah, for sure it's helped. Yeah. I guess it's sort of like it, it's, it's, it's when you get into that climate change territory, which is for sure another aspect of talking about a town like Annapolis, like with a waterfront, you're on a peninsula. If sea level goes up, that's a bad thing for your, for your people and for your place of, you know, I mean, down, <laughs> downtown Annapolis floods all the time, right? Oh yeah, uh, it's it's getting worse. Yeah, it's great videos of people like kayaking around amongst the shops that are not really great because shit. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but also, it's clever. It's it's cute. Do you remember Hurricane <laughs> Isabel? We had Hurricane Isabel knock yeah. out most of the downtown. We had a market house, which has been like politically like, oh, when's this market house going up? They finally just put up a market house, and then Florence was coming in. And I was like, holy shit! Like this Florence is gonna come in. We just had this brand new market house, which is modern. It's it's successful, and then as soon as it gets up a month later, Florence is gonna come in and blast it, you know, and just destroy it. Luckily, it didn't hit us that much, so we're okay. But that's a possibility. I mean, in a lot of downtown businesses are affected by flooding and so the question is we're going to do some um pumps to pump out some of the water but like with climate change the sea level rising it's only you know it's mitigation you know we're going to spend more and more money at some point we're going to have to go higher you know it's not 
you know, we can adapt. We can try to like, even, and I did a paper on this in law school, even if we stop and if we're perfect, I'm in quotes right now, we're perfect climate people right now across the board, which we're not, there's still what's called committed warming. So there's still going to be climate change, even if we were like, everybody just kind of stayed in their world and didn't have cars and didn't, you know, have the exhaust, we're still going to have climate change because it's built up over time. And so the question is how much money are we going to spend on mitigating people? Eastport is going to be underwater. You know, there's these islands we've talked about. They're going to be Tangier. that's going to be underwater. And do we want to save them? And these are questions that are going to be Eastern shore, not Eastern, Eastern shore, but East coast questions as well as West coast questions of whether or not we're going to want to spend federal money state money, local money, and preserving these these coastlines. So it should be an interesting how it develops over the next 20, 30 years because it's really affecting a lot of coastal cities for sure. Well, I think the Tangier Island yeah. thing is, is, is a really a relevant example of – because let's, let's take it back from the example for a second. If that's the scenario you're faced with, then there's, there's two options. Leave the island – and be like, okay, well, not a good place to leave. We got to get the people off of the island. Or engineering solutions that we know can be done to some capacity because, like, there are countries that are already underwater, you know. So we, so we know we could build a seawall and we could engineer our way around it, put in pipe, pipes, put up a wall. But then you're going to have, you know an island that's underwater. That's just a problem. I mean, there's a storm is going to come, it's going to get over the wall, and then you have a New Orleans situation. So there's all these, it gets so complex in terms of like, okay, well, what do you do? So I think maybe, should we describe the eastern shore of Maryland? That's, that's a really unique spot on the planet too, right? And the Chesapeake Bay is, is it? it's the largest like natural bay in the world, I think, isn't it? Uh, it, for one sure of. in North we'll America. One of. <laughs> yeah, for sure it's one of the largest enclosed to some degree bodies of water in the United States. Um, I think on the continent. But there's a lot of islands and bays and stuff up in Canada that I feel like I'm like, ah, that's maybe not true. My Jeopardy brain is immediately like, nope, not committed to that answer. <laughs> it's an important one. That's, That's what the for internet's sure. for. Let's look it up and put it in the show notes. No, but I like- want to I want to say something about there's an island in Chesapeake Bay called Smith Island, and you guys are close to Baltimore. You grew up close to there, and the dredging from Baltimore they took all the dredging from those big commercial boats, and they took that all that all that sand and put it in Smith Island and made it bigger. So it's a possibility, but for an island like Tangier. That's it's too far away. It's just it's just we're talking about a lot of money. Um, and with when it comes to Chesapeake Bay, there's something called and I don't know if you heard this term before called subsidence. And subsidence is the the sand of the Chesapeake Bay. It it sinks into the ground. It actually sinks. So what you have is you have sea level rise, but you also have a sinking islands and coastlines in the Chesapeake Bay. And what that does is just disproportionately affects. You know, climate change and in these weather events like hurricanes disproportionately affect uh, these islands. So, you know, what's the economic situation on these islands, right? Like, because, you know, you, you end up with this sort of almost this historically, you like a fishing village kind of thing where it's like, hey, we fish enough to support, you know, this economy or we're by the beach. Because if you go at the eastern shore of Maryland, on one side of it is at the Atlantic Ocean. So you have this kind of strip of beach. 
you know, behavior. But then in between, you kind of have this just marshy, like, so, like, at one point, at what point is the answer to that? Like, uh, it costs too much to try to abate the problem. And we know that, the like, if sea level rise is going to happen to a certain amount, my parents own a property on an island. And so constantly there's conversation about, like, but guys, the highest point on this island is you know, is 50 feet above sea level. So if 30 feet, there's just no way to abate that. You have to start putting up walls or you have to move the people up to higher, higher land Mm. that, that live there. And that's a really difficult problem on Maryland's Eastern shore. I think they used to have a lot of chicken farms. (laughs) Oh yeah. They they still do Purdue. You go, you go to the market, you'll get Purdue. And of course that, the uh, the the waste from the chickens, uh, for lack of uh, an, an artful saying, I think we can curse on this podcast. It's chicken <laughs> shit. So chicken shit gets into the bay, and that causes algae blooms, and it, for all these nutrients, it causes it, it basically causes the Chesapeake Bay to become fat. And what we need is we have these things called TMDLs, total maximum daily loads, to put the bay on a on a uh, pollution diet, to put a bay on the pollution diet from the uh, the nitrogen. That's coming from the chicken shit, you know, and also from our fertilizers and that sort of stuff. And we have to meet that by, I think it's 2025. And it's going to be, it's going to be tough when you have climate change exacerbating the problem. But also when you have all these, these, uh, these chicken farms over in the Eastern shore affecting that. So, so Scott, I've got it. Since we're on the climate change sideline here anyway let's just run with it (laughs) i'm curious so you said part of your platform was environmentalism right you you studied that was your focus for law when you were in law school and yeah how do you as a as a candidate running for public office how do you balance big issues that are I don't necessarily mean climate change specifically but like big infrastructure stuff that people have trouble connecting with with the local things that people really care about that that affect their day-to-day life like immediately versus like uh, huge infrastructure projects or huge environmental concerns or like globalism, right? How do you balance that? And how do you bring that conversation to the community, but then also bring back useful stuff that the community really cares about that's just for them? No, that that's a great question. So, I mean, that's... So one of the things there's always a, a kind of tension between, so say, public housing and environmental concerns, or you know, developing, and you want to like, you know, you want to connect people that so they can go to work in D.C., but you also want to make sure people can bike to work and that sort of thing. So like, how do you do that? And and the thing is, it's tough because the way we did, it, and you look at back in like the 1940s, 1950s, the way like a lot of these towns and cities, not necessarily Naples as longer, they're developed, they were developed with like the car in mind, not the person in mind. So we need to make, you know, mm-hmm. when we're thinking about that, but it's sort of, it's already developed like this. So how can you kind of get away from already a structure that might not be in our best, in the person's best uh, interest, but more like a car? Because like you have these like suburbs, they're out in nowhere, but they're not close to you can't bike to like a grocery store or get to work. You have to get in the car. So how can you make, you know, do that? And the answer I think is you got to do, it's called incrementalism. And it's, these are tough questions, but it's incrementalism. So you start with building, you start with planting a tree. That's doable. You start with planting a tree and then you, you put in a bike lane 
and you go from there. And then you you and then you you might still have the big highway that can get the person to DC or Baltimore from Annapolis, but you put a bridge across that forest drive or or it's on the peninsula. You put that bridge so then bicyclists can get across the bridge and it can connect to Quiet Waters Park. So but you do it on an incremental basis. It's tough to do things in a broad over, sweeping range politically, I think. But if you do things bit by bit and street by street, um, a cool thing that's happening over in the Eastport uh, neighborhood of Annapolis right now is this uh, program called Neat Streets. And what they do is every mm-hmm. a week, um, a group of people take one block at a time. They spend one hour uh, of their of their night, of the Monday night, and they just clean up that street. And they build it. They might put like a bike lane cool. there if they can, or just something really small. Might put, and if you just do it by street by street, you can, it can be done. It can be accomplished. But um, it, it's tough because you're right. It's you know these developments, having these big developments and, and balancing. It, it's really tough. And I think at some point you kind of have to stop. You can't have it all. I mean, uh, something that's really developed like Annapolis, there might not be room for more and more people to be on that peninsula at some point if they want to still have nice things you know you could potentially you know you could have like a different culture where it's uh more dense and people you know you could try to build density into these buildings and you can have these buildings lead certified and everything the stormwater mitigation can happen there and everything can be environmentally as sound as possible but if there's more people there and and they're all just bike or driving uh to work and that sort of stuff it might not be the best thing for annapolis so you kind of have to weigh, and, and what's happening is there's there's a lot of like compromise on it. There's there might be a big development, and the developer wants 200 condos, and it gets knocked down to 50 or 75 condos or something like that. So, but at some point, you know, the growth has to slow, um, slow down because what we're doing is it's almost like they call it a Ponzi scheme. Almost it's like is you just continue to develop so you can have more of a tax base, and you take that money and then you you spend that money in in irresponsible ways. So you just can't develop a city indefinitely. At some point you have to slow the growth down. And I think politicians kind of fall into the trap of, Oh, we can just, Oh, we'll do this development. We'll get more people here. We can get some more money that will solve all of our problems. Sometimes that actually creates problems. So you really got to look at these and make sure the community has input in these projects before you do a really big project. I'm curious what kind of tools you use to do that. Like, do you send emails? Do you have <laughs> chat channels where, like, being in 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 my day job, the uh, the way blockchain type projects work and communities work, like they centralize around things like everybody's on Slack together, or everybody's on Discord together, or everybody's in a Telegram channel together, and they kind of talk about the project. And I don't really like a lot of people around me are on Nextdoor. And they talk about mm-hmm. they talk about local issues, but I kind of only vaguely pay attention. I'm also not a homeowner, so I don't know that I have any skin in the game, other than I rent here. And sure, it's nice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. No, yeah, Nextdoor is a big in Annapolis. Nextdoor is very vocal. There are actually it's a very big um, speaking forum for people that are frankly not so happy about developers coming into our town out of town developers developing this crownsville stadium that i think i mentioned to you guys off state off uh, air there's definitely a controversial eastport which is like if annapolis is a peninsula um eastport is a peninsula within a peninsula or, you know there's a it is actually a peninsula itself a smaller peninsula and so people get really riled up when there's more development going on because they can hardly drive down the street because it's like there's small streets 
for like a time or a horse and buggy time. Plus, you know, you have these condos going up. So um, Eastport Neighborhood Forum, it's a Facebook page. So it's like Facebook is a very vocal Facebook groups about these developments, about these projects. And some people are, are very excited about it and some people aren't. So um, and some people think Annapolis, they say they talk about 50 years ago, Annapolis, you could get a permit to start a business and, and develop something in like 48 hours or stuff like that. Now it's, it would take years and years of like lobbying and that sort of stuff to, to get anything done. And so some people, the argument is it's so tough to do business in Annapolis because of all the regulations. So there's a lot of, and there, there is some truth to that. On the other hand, you know, there needs to be, some of this growth needs to be slowed down for the environment and frankly, because we're so, so developed and so crowded now. So it's constantly a balance. This, this, this sort of feels like this engineering place is like, okay, why is this yeah. such a difficult situation? What you're talking about there, which is like, you have to do this sort of counterintuitive thing where like what the business owners are expressing when they say that's too expensive for us is like, I can't set up a business there. I can't handle the overhead of sort of being in this place. So like you're trying to slow development at a time when communication has never been faster. So I'm curious, like from your standpoint as someone involved in local politics, are the tools we're using to talk about politics conducive for the right type of dynamic where we're going to figure stuff out maybe not so we can help the future like is facebook the place to be is next door the place to be because maybe the answer is uh the dynamic on de- next door it's like the incentive structure or whatever however this piece of software we tried out for a while was built like it just seems to result in people that are mad about the developments going in or it's like you just know okay well next door is where the people gather who are going to be inclined to say no condos like, I don't really watch the discourse on Nextdoor. No, I agree. You know, I, I that's definitely probably the case here, too, is Nextdoor is a lot of people venting to their neighbors and talking, you know, outraged about this and that. And maybe some a platform where it's like, okay, these are, you know, this is the background. These are the two sides. And you kind of start with more of like a factual basis that might, you know. Right, resort to a better conversation than than you know name calling and and just at complete outrage because I think I I'm personally I wasn't anti development I'm totally for sustainable redevelopment and in in you know development that's gonna because there is development out there that if it's done right can change how the a city works that's sustainable and it's the right thing to do and we should be doing that um, the problem is some of these these um, Politically, some of these projects are just done in a vacuum. One of the issues I had on the county council was we have this plan. So every you all probably know there's like comprehensive plans for cities of how they're supposed to be developed. Well, the problem and and counties and the problem is if you, you want to hit an engineering episode, we'll put a link in the show notes. But episode yeah. I think fifteen, we talked to a buddy of mine who works in the water, uh, like for a water district here in Los Angeles. Yeah. And we run through a lot of the interesting aspects of this from sort of like a, a data standpoint. So he talks us through like the idea of demand hardening and things like that. Like we have numbers to be like, if we don't produce this much water in a city, we're going to have a bad time. Like, oh, and yeah. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's amazing. These plans that pe- so many different experts and local communities they uh, they talk and listen and they come up with this plan. They spend a lot of time on it. The problem is when these developers come and these these bills come before the county council is um, everything's in a vacuum. So it's like and the way the county the politics of the county council works is 
okay, this is a general development plan. I, I'm in up north. I'm in a county, and I want to do this development. It might not be pursuant to the general development plan, what we agreed upon, but I think it's good for my, uh, for my district. So therefore, uh, let's do it. And what the council people do is they all tip their hat. It's called councilmanic courtesy. So all the people politically on the council tip their hat to, oh, that's your district, so we'll we'll let you do that development, even though it's against that it's the, the whole overall scheme. And the problem with that is you're not thinking about development in a holistic way. You're not thinking about how does that up north highway affect and that development affect down in Annapolis or stuff like that. It's it's a, it's the fact that. It's you look at the Chesapeake Bay. I'm a firm believer that the Chesapeake Bay should be uh, regulated by the Chesapeake Bay program. It doesn't have teeth in now. There's six bay states in DC, and the problem is Maryland and Virginia are you know everything's separate. It's a whole Chesapeake Bay watershed. It's not just state by state. So when we're doing these developments, when we're doing thinking about the environment, when we're thinking about development in general, you can't be just done in each di- jurisdiction. You have to think of it in a holistic way and the problem is politically um that's difficult it's politically people up in new york new york politicians aren't going to give a crap what what all our shit runs downstream right so people in maryland virginia could do be perfect watershed stewards but new york and pennsylvania can just kind of throw all their stuff and it can run down the stream and affect us and so we need to have a holistic uh one solution uh, when it comes to development and when it comes to the environment and the problem is when you look at getting into the state system and that sort of stuff we don't have that and in, in the politics of that so it's tough it's that's an my, interesting that's my rant that's my rant <laughs> yeah i mean it's an interesting problem because you you have this like pan you know like pan state situation where like it's a very real example of a thing that comes up for us whenever we talk about climate stuff on here, which is just, it's a problem of cooperation like that we've not experienced since the space program, like of this need to everyone be behind this effort to find a solution to this problem with so much pressure that the people in New York can't get reelected if they don't acknowledge it and listen to what the people in Virginia beach are saying about the sludge that, that rolls downstream. Yeah. yeah. Why, if you're in New York, people, why community would you spend management. money? That? Yeah. yeah. Why would you spend money on cleaning up the Bay or if, if it doesn't affect directly affect your uh, constituents, you know? So, right. And so as we segregate state by state, like, like, like into identities, it gets unhelpful because it's like, you're from Virginia. Well, like, yeah, yeah, but, uh, it's we're creating problems for one another by our behavior as well. I mean, California is a very water dependent state, so California is very aware of. Oh yeah, you know this inter like we got to stay friends with Colorado, or, oh, yeah. or we don't get water. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> it's, it's California and Nevada. Is that yeah? Lake Tahoe. Uh, borders, I think, California and Nevada, and they actually use yeah. what I think the Chesapeake Bay should use. It's called the Lake Tahoe Compact, and they use the Constitution to use uh, a, the states to can come together and form a regulatory body because there's actually a Lake Tahoe uh, regional agency that can, frankly, uh, hand out fees to people that violate have like you know violate stuff that's bad for the environment and it's it's worked i mean lake tahoe used to be really bad environmentally but it's really come back and now it's it's bluer again you can go to lake tahoe and see the bottom again you know so which is which i think that gets us to a part of politics that's weird to try to get your head around Mm -hmm. which is like the idea of what works about the state system Mm -hmm. involves 
like it's supposed to involve running experiments in the states mm. and when they work then rolling them out other places where they can be rolled out and one of the things that i think a lot of people believe is that the national parks were a pretty good idea mm. and some of that is about like this is a nice place to visit and it causes awe but some of that is also about understanding the things that you're you're talking about like how do you protect a giant freshwater source so that it remains drinkable mm -hmm. Because that's the thing we need to be able to continue to do to survive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, definitely, it's like, how can you see how important the Chesapeake Bay is when, you know, you don't, you don't necessarily see what's in the water right away. You know, it's not, it's not something like I can see when the environment is bad on land, but when you don't see the economics of how important the Chesapeake Bay is to this area, it's harder to like, you know, see that than the, uh, the economics of a small business are there. So it's, it's, it's harder to do these like long range and to sell politically these long range uh, projects of like saving the bay for lack of a better phrase that the Chesapeake Bay Foundation use. So how can we, you know, get more people to buy into this long term saving the bay when they're worried about their local issue, which is getting their store open or something like that, which is a legit issue. So it's kind of balancing the short term and the long term. And I we're going back to my politics. I ran on sort of like a sustainable platform is we need to act as if tomorrow matters. We need to act as if tomorrow matters. We need to do things now. They're going to help us out later instead of doing a short-term approach, which could, you know, could screw us up, you know, screw up our children down the road. So the way I like to say it lately is that we need, and I got this from the guy who founded Patagonia, like we need hundred year solutions for problems. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, we need to come up with solutions that outlive us. And I feel like we haven't thought that way as a country in a long time. <laughs> Amen. So I feel like that's a pretty solid place to wrap up. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry if I could ran it too much to you guys. It was, oh, it was no. Fun. It was beautiful. It was fun. Uh, there's just so many rabbit holes. We'll have to have you back on yeah, yeah. to continue to talk about this stuff. In the meantime, you've got uh, – tell people where they can find you. Sure. Well, if you just Google the Annapolis podcast, my uh, my Libsyn website will pop up. Uh, you can find me on iTunes, um, any of your, your podcast provider, mcmullenlaw.com if you're in Maryland. I'm a lawyer. But uh, yeah, just uh, I hope to talk to you guys soon. I hope to get out to California soon. It's beautiful out there. And I feel like the, the answer to literally everything is register to vote because yeah. then the <laughs> yeah. people who have ideas for how to fix this shit don't even know to find you. It's, it, Except on Facebook, and maybe that's not the best place to be aggregating that behavior. <laughs> I, I completely agree. And we know that Facebook has its issues, too. We don't have to go into that. Well, this is Engineering Podcast. Thanks for sticking around. If you want to support this ongoing conversation about weird stuff, go to support.zengineeringpodcast.com. Thanks for hanging out. This is Engineering. I'm Adam. I'm Brian. And I'm Scott McBone. Take it easy, everybody.